0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Here is what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you that the 21st chapter of John is my favorite passage of Scripture. I've done that too many times already, and at some point you will stop believing me But what I will tell you is that the 21st chapter of John is an amazing and unique passage of scripture. It is amazing and unique, not necessarily because of what it says in this particular passage, but because of what is said just before this passage appears. If you have your Bible or if you've got a phone app or something like that where you can look it up, if you turn back to the 20th chapter of John, you don't have to. I saw someone grabbing their phone. But you, you can check this later. You can double-check me. But the 20th chapter of John ends after the story of Jesus' resurrection and his appearances afterwards. And the story, the, chapter, uh, the 20th chapter, ends by saying, And Jesus did many more works than these, but these were recorded so that you may believe. Period. It feels like you're going to turn the page and there's going to be another book waiting for you. And yet, we turn the page and there is another chapter. It's almost as if the author was just like, oh, one more thing. (laughs) Or it's almost like when you go to a concert And the band or the artist finishes playing and they go back behind the curtain just for a few moments until the applaud gets big enough and they come back out to play the last song that they've already rehearsed. It's an encore of sorts. And so scholars have looked at this passage and they have wondered if it was part of the original text the Gospel of John is written late in the first century or early in the second century, so somewhere between maybe 90 to 120, and the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of John, we've got about four, all of them from the fourth century, and each of them, I believe three, that contain the 20th chapter also contain the 21st chapter, or at least fragments of it. In other words, even if this is a late addition to the text, it is very, very early in the story. And so this was either an oral tradition or a a story that the community became to believe was just as important as these other texts. And so when we read it on the third week, the third Sunday after Easter, it just feels awesome. This passage is, it is great because it is like the entirety of the gospel is shoved down into just one small passage. I feel myself getting outside of my parameters I've been given. And so we have this amazing passage, this big story in a little space. And it's the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples, although he had appeared to others, on the road to Emmaus, outside of uh, uh, the tomb in the garden to Mary. But speaking specifically about the 12 disciples, this is the third time that Jesus has appeared. Once he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas was not present. And then they went home and they told Thomas, oh man, you really missed out. And Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see it too. And then a little time later, Jesus shows up. Thomas doesn't have to have FOMO. And now this third time, the disciples are living their ordinary life. And it's an amazing testimony to us. Uh, a community that centers ourself around the Easter story and lives in the post-resurrection reality because so many times I feel like people, whenever they come to faith, and I, I think I felt like this at one point too, that the moment I came into relationship with Jesus, I was like, oh man, everything's going to change now. All of a sudden, everything's going to sparkle. My life's going to be better. Like probably not gonna have car payments anymore. Like this is gonna be, this is going to be great. And yet, the next day, like, my life was totally normal. Like, I still had to fold laundry, right, and take a shower. Like, all the things that I had to do before, like, I still had to do. And so, this is, I I almost want to petition the lectionary that this should actually be the Easter story. Like, this is the passage that we should read on Easter Sunday because for those of us who wonder, what is this life of faith beyond that Easter moment? Well, this is it. The disciples have witnessed, either directly or indirectly, like the greatest moment in history, and now they are trying to figure out what to do with themselves, and Peter turns to the other disciples and he says, I'm going to go fishing. (laughs) And this was the same thing that he had done so many times before this. He had done this so often. This was just his natural way of being. And the other disciples just kind of shrugged and said, I got nothing else to do. I'll go with you. And so the disciples go out and they are fishing and they fish all night. And this is a familiar story to us. They catch nothing. Let it be noted that every time the disciples go fishing in the Bible, they catch nothing without Jesus' help. That's a sermon in itself. They fish all night. Peter has stripped himself of his clothes. They are exhausted and most likely frustrated. And then a man appears on the shore and at first they do not recognize him. And he calls out to them, and it almost feels a little bit like he's throwing shade. Children, have you any fish? I have to believe that at this point, Jesus knows the answer, and so they tell him no, and he tells them to cast their nets on the other side. What is unique about this is that this is not the first time this has happened. In the fifth chapter of Luke, Before the disciples were the disciples, they were just guys. Before this, they had been trying to catch fish all night, and they had caught nothing. And Jesus once again appears on the shore, and this time he tells them to cast out into deeper waters. And if they do this, they will catch fish. It is the very first miracle that a certain group of the disciples witness. And right after this, they are called to follow him. In other words, the Easter story that we have read this morning is a reminder that we need to be reminded of our calling, that we don't get to some place where we get to forget the old things that God has called us to, but that our calling remains the same, the same that this passage ends with, follow me. This is the basis of our calling as Christians, not to own something, not to, uh, Not to lock down our personal salvation, not to have fire insurance of some of some kind, not to have personal security, but to follow Jesus in a way of living in the here and now that will invite us and bring us into the kingdom of God—not in some other life, but in this one. This story, this resurrection story, is a story about remembering our calling. The disciples are on the boat, and they don't yet recognize who Jesus is. But the moment that those nets fill up, John has a realization. You might remember that earlier on, just a couple of chapters ago, on Easter Sunday, we read a story about John and Peter finding out about the tomb being empty. And Peter takes off running, but he stops at the door. Excuse me, vice versa. John stops at the door, and Peter just runs past him in. Peter arrives, but he doesn't come to a conclusion, but John peeks in and he sees the cloth linen wrappings lying there neatly folded, and it says that John believes. This passage, John exclaims, it is the Lord. In other words, he understands. I like John. John lives up here, but Peter, much like in the Easter passage, is all action. He is naked, and he puts on just enough clothes to get into the water, and he jumps out into the sea, and he begins to swim towards Jesus. And maybe you this morning are going, I'm not at all like Peter. I'm, I'm more like John. John. Or maybe you're like, oh, that, that, that John guy's too heady, I'm more like Peter, I'm all action all the time. Or maybe you were sitting here this morning going, I'm not like either one of these guys, I'm somewhere in the middle or somewhere off on another spectrum. The truth is, is this is a story that speaks into our post Easter reality, that all of those responses are good and necessary. You have been created just as you are. The person who God desired and had great joy in creating, And whatever your response is to Easter, to the resurrected Christ, that is exactly what God is looking for. And so if that's up here in your head, that's great. And if it's in your heart, that's great. And if it's in your hands and feet, that's great. Earlier this week, we had a welcome dinner for our uh, Afghan or Afghanistan families that we have adopted and we had about 40-something people from the church show up, maybe even 50. And I thought, man, this is amazing. And for a split second, I thought, I wish the whole church was here to experience this. And then I realized that that's not the way that the community works, You are here this morning, and others were here on Thursday, and someone else will be here on Wednesday or Tuesday. We will all show up to different things. We will be passionate about different parts of this calling. We will believe certain things so strongly we cannot let it go, and someone else will hold on to a different part of faith, even after I finish preaching. Today, as we say the affirmation of faith together, there will be one part that you will say just a little bit louder and a little bit more passionately because you are holding on to it today, and someone else will say the other part that you couldn't quite muster. That is, that is the gift of community, that all of these responses are needed. And then comes the last part of the passage. The disciples drag these 153 fishes fish to shore, Jesus is already cooking. Again, a story reminiscent of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just loaves and fishes. Maybe too, recalling to us the Last Supper, so much of the gospel is present in just this one chapter. And Jesus has a charcoal fire that is burning there, and he is cooking fish and bread, and he invites them to breakfast. And the disciples are sitting there, and they don't want to ask who he is, because they are afraid And they already know, like in their hearts, they already know that this is the risen Lord. And suddenly the passage narrows even more, and we get this intimate picture of this story, this conversation between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus asks Peter a question. He says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, of course, of course I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. Then he asks again, Peter, do you love me? And you can sense that Peter is like, didn't this guy just hear me? I just said it. Yes, of course, Jesus, I, I love you. He says, tend my sheep. And then once again, Jesus asks again, and this time the text tells us Peter is, is frustrated because Jesus has already asked him this question two times. Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. You already know that I love you. And in this moment, if you're reading this passage just by itself, you may not realize that Jesus is affording to Peter the same amount of opportunities to affirm his faith that just a couple of chapters ago, he denied him just before the crucifixion. This is ultimately a story about redemption and reconciliation. It's about how God, through Jesus, gives us second chances. No matter how many times we have fallen short or denied or walked away, no matter what we have done, there is grace and space for us to return and affirm again. This is the gift of Easter. And so, my friends, in one small chapter, in one small chapter, we get a story that calls us back to remembering our original calling. It's the reason we need Easter every year, and not just every year, but every Sunday, and not just every Sunday, but every day. We need to remember who it is and what it is we are called to do. This is a story about responding in all of the beautiful and various and diverse ways that you and I can based on who we are created to be and our experience and our background and our gifts and our talents and all of the things that God has placed inside of you and who you've been formed to be. This is a story about bringing all of that into the kingdom and responding. And finally, And perhaps most importantly, this is a story about redemption and reconciliation, because, my friends, that is what the gospel is about. And if everything else is lost on you, just listen to those last two words that Jesus speaks to Jesus, to that Jesus speaks to Peter: "Follow me," because in this is the answer to who we are called to be. Yesterday, I worked a fair uh, for Operation Purple. Which is um, uh, an event put on at, at, at many different military bases that raises awareness for child abuse and raising funds for services. We had these koozies out on the table for many years that the youth at Randolph had created. So they had all these, you know, these kind of like trite phrases. Mine had a, a Nike swoosh on it that had been turned into a cross that just said, God does it. I don't know what that means. <laughs> But one of them had a a little uh, uh, life preserver that said, Jesus rescues me. And a woman came up and asked if she could have water and I said, sure, pick any one you want. And she said, I'll take this one because I got Jesus. And I thought, first of all, that's great. But also, what a strange way to word it. Because I don't know that you or I or anyone else got Jesus. I don't think Jesus can be owned. I don't think Jesus is something that we can fold up and put into our wallets or a trinket to be displayed on our shelves or an indicator by which we can say, I'm over here and these people are.